Welcome to another episode of Monday, Monday Afternoon, afternoon Theologian. There it is. Of course it is. Hey, welcome back. Good to see you again, my friend. How in the world are you, Rick? I am doing great. This is something I look forward to every week, even though I'm looking a little pale with my laptop camera. <laughs> and I think it's a fitting that I'm still using the laptop because it makes me impatient to get my regular machine back. <laughs> uh, I tell you what, electronics, that rates right up there at the top of my list with things which can make me impatient. <laughs> yeah. Anytime we're doing something that, that has to do with uh, hardware, my wife always says, I hate hardware. And she's an IT person, but she's on the software side most of the time. There are things that I have to give to my daughter so that she can fix it for me. There are things with the tech crew at church that they say, do you want to know how this works? And I say, no, I really don't. Just, <laughs> Not a chance. Just please make it happen, would you? Yeah. I get very impatient about that kind of stuff. And mostly because I get frustrated with myself because, and this is a vicious cycle, I'm too impatient to take the time to learn how to do it right. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously we are moving forward through the, uh, through the spirit that we find in Galatians 5 and being in the fourth week, it is patience. Yeah. And those situations that test our patience and it is, Kind of interesting as we walk through some of this stuff, how many different types of subjects we can use that actually impact our patients. I was amazed by that, quite frankly. I thought, oh, this won't be that deep. And I started looking into it briefly. And I thought, oh, yes, this intersects with a number of different issues that play into patients. And we're going to look at two or three of them today because I think they're quite important and they grow right out of scripture, which is kind of important. Because we're looking at theology. Yeah, uh, funny how that works. Yeah. I think another big trigger for me in becoming super impatient is driving. But it's those other people on the road. <laughs> and it's how they impact my life. And when I see that uh, entitlement man cuts me off or ride your bumper lady comes up really fast on me and then acts like it's my fault that I'm going the speed limit. <laughs> <laughs> that stuff drives me nuts. And I find myself sliding very quickly into the bad part of my personality. And I become very impatient. Yeah, for me, it's the last six weeks have been weeks of 10,000 annoyances, uh, just little bitty things, but it spirals out of control. And, and some of the things that set me off are just stupid. Like I'll bang my hand. Yeah, But it seems like I'm banging my hand more often now, and I'm trying not to attribute it to old age, but I, I don't know where else to put it. And it's, you know, you bump into the wall slightly because you're just out of position as you're moving from one room to another. Uh, and those things just set me off. And it's like, okay, that's 10,001. That's 10,002. That's 10,003. That's 10,004. And the next thing you know, I'm at the end of my rope and lashing out at nothing. It's just those little annoyances that test my patience. I feel you. And I caught myself doing the very same thing just the other day. And I was coming around the corner and I just misjudged it a little bit and bumped my shoulder on the doorframe. It's like, yep. have I forgotten how to walk? <laughs> 
the door frame is still the same size. Can I not actually move through it without banging into it? That's right. I've decided Sunday we were setting up for a praise team. And I was thinking that somebody changed out a box that we have to plug something into so that the electronic drum set will work with our system. And I said, did somebody change this box? And is there a different one here? Somebody said, why do you ask that? And I said, because where I used to plug in was on the back, but this one's on the side. They said, no, that's a different box. That one's the one over there. That's your hearback unit. And I went, oh, I'm going to blame that one on COVID then. <laughs> Everything can be blamed on COVID, apparently. So, right. yeah, not being able to walk through a door frame, that, that's a symptom of COVID, I'm pretty sure. Sure. So every time I start to get forgetful, or if I bump into a wall, or if I smash into something, I'm just going to say, COVID. Yeah. <laughs> so is there another thing that sets you off, or at least sets off your impatience? Yeah, I didn't have to think terribly long before I realized, when's the last time I got impatient? <laughs> <laughs> It was not very long ago. Yeah, it's measured in minutes in my case. It's when I'm working on a real important project, like studying for a sermon, for example, and I'm really thinking, and sometimes thinking is hard work because you're wrestling with concepts, you're trying to get at the bottom of something, and you're thinking, that doesn't make sense to me, I have to go digging for the answer, and then you get interrupted by something. And in my case, usually the interruption comes from one of the persons who lives in my home, <laughs> And they have a need, and they need to ask me to do something. And you would think that I could be patient enough to just say, I'm going to put that on pause for a minute. I'm going to go help them with this because they can't reach something, and I'm the tallest one in the house. Or if the dog needs to be let out, and my daughter's in a meeting, and so there's nobody else to do it, you'd think that I could just put things on pause and think, I can get right back to this. If it takes three minutes, no big deal. But sometimes I find myself just getting so immediately angry and impatient because I was in the zone. And I think, but my project is important. So that's one of the things that ticks me off is when people don't recognize that my project matters and I have a goal I'm trying to reach. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because patience, impatience, goals and frustrations of meeting that goal, they all seem to go hand in hand. You know, especially when we're trying to be focused, we're trying to be effective. Yeah, I, I feel your pain because I'm right there with you. And sometimes for me, it's not somebody in the house other than the dog who wants to go out while I'm having breakfast or I'm <laughs> focused on a task. And uh, yeah. I struggle with the whole patience and patience thing. I think we all do. And of course, we want to try to put our best foot forward when we're around our brothers and sisters in church and we're meeting with people <laughs> that we know well. But the real stuff comes out for me when I'm in the car or when I'm at home with the people that I love the most and with whom deserves the best of me. And yet very often they're the ones who are, they catch the brunt of my impatience. And then I feel guilty for that. So this is a real problem. And, and it's interesting because knowing that this topic was coming up somewhere in the next few weeks, I have been so aware mm. of yep. how I deal with particularly my wife, you know, we're the only two in the house at the moment mm -hmm. and having to not necessarily bite my tongue, but mm -hmm. just being aware because I know that the patience was coming up and we were going to look at it a little more in depth, Yeah, just not reacting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. inside reacting, but not letting mm -hmm. it come out. Mm -hmm. uh, 
over those silly little things that would normally, well, that did set me off, but I didn't escalate into something worse. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was probably a good thing for my well-being over the past few weeks. I agree. And it's interesting that I experienced the same thing, knowing that it was coming up, I was more cognizant of it, which is why I think it's good that we're looking at the fruit of the spirit, because by being aware of it, we're being a little more introspective. And there's some of that self-evaluation that's one of the spiritual disciplines to have enough solitude and silence and introspection to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal things to us that we need to be aware of. So I think maybe that's already started to happen a little bit with both of us, it sounds like. And I'm sure there's some scriptural examples that kind of highlight some of these things. Yes. And one that I discovered in my search for scriptures related to this topic surprised me a little bit. It was not the first one that popped into my mind, but I saw it in relation uh, to another topic and the pastor related it to patience, and I thought it made a lot of sense. And it's from Matthew chapter 18. It's not a terribly long passage, but it's one that many will recognize about somebody who was asking, how patient should we be? And maybe you could just even read that brief passage to us. It's verses 21 through 35 of Matthew 18. It's interesting that it's you know, the, uh, the disciples are talking to Jesus about this. Let's take a look at the actual scripture. It looks like it's out of one of the new translations, this particular passage that we're going to look at. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. I can't imagine being that much in debt, but that's a pretty big debt. Whoa. Was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children Whoa. and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And his that's wife and children. Pretty, yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty big payment. Yeah. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Whoa, he didn't just, yeah, he didn't just say, I'm going to give you three more years to do it. He canceled the debt altogether. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, obviously a much smaller debt. Mm -hmm. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Sounds really similar to what we saw in the first paragraph. Mm-hmm. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, I'm not sure how being in prison would help you pay the debt since <laughs> you're not able to work and get the money that you need to pay it. But that was kind of a custom at the time. Now, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the same servant back in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And we remember... 10,000 bags of gold. That's a pretty big debt. 
This is how my heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Aha, big parable about comparisons. <laughs> yes, it is. Man. So in looking at how that first master reacted when the servant who owed him a ton begged him, he didn't just stretch it out. He didn't say, yes, I'm going to let you slide a little bit, or I'm going to knock your payments down to be low enough that you can afford them, even though it's going to take a lot longer. It was meant to be extreme. Jesus used these kinds of extreme parables to show us the huge difference between these two things. And I think it's pretty realistic to say that our sins are so huge that we could never pay Christ back for what he did for us. And I think that's getting at the point of what God is saying. Compared to what I've forgiven you about, that's minuscule. And yet you're behaving in such an unforgiving manner? Yeah, we look at the follow-up that says, who will love more? Who was forgiven little or who was forgiven much? Mm. And then we look at that. How much has God forgiven us? How much do we then need to forgive our brothers and sisters when they sin against us? And how many times? And and I once heard that when we look at the opening, when it says, is it seven times? And he says, no, 77 times or seven times, seven times. Mm -hmm. But once you've forgiven them, you've got to start counting again. So it's like you're back at zero and the next one is forgiven. And then there's a new 77 after that. So. And as the, as the scholar who looks into the numerology and the use of those things, when there are duplicate numbers like that, basically, it was a euphemism that means an unending number, like what you've just said. Exactly. So how then do we relate this to our everyday life? How does this uh, impact you when those bad drivers are in front of you and driving down the middle of the road at 14 miles an hour? And you're trying to get somewhere for an important meeting. Yeah, this is one that I guess to have that parable fresh in my mind, if I were to have just read that, and then I get on the road, I might be thinking a little bit more about that and thinking, am I going to be more forgiving for this little infraction than I usually am, knowing that I personally have been forgiven for a lot worse? Because if there's a comparison going on, certainly I ought to be able to do a little tiny forgivenesses throughout my day, including just forgiving somebody for not driving the way I think they should be driving for my benefit. So yeah, I think forgiveness does come into play when it comes to my daily walk. When the dog interrupts and says, you know, I want to play or I need to go outside. Um, can I be forgiving for three minutes? I would think that maybe I ought to be able to generate that kind of forgiveness. Yeah. When my blood pressure starts to go up and I start to feel it when I'm on the road, not every time, but often I, I take a step back and look at God's sovereignty in, mm -hmm. in a manner that allows me to take the heat off when I think he knows what's around these corners and I don't. So maybe this guy doing 14 miles an hour in a 45 mm -hmm. is slowing me down so that I don't get sideswiped or T-boned yeah. at the next intersection. Mm -hmm. And it may or may not be the case, but it helps me to, to, it back a notch or two. I agree. I think there's that overriding sense that God is working everything for good of those who are called according to his purposes, who love him, and that there may be more involved because everything has some sort of a connection somehow in God's economy, in God's world. 
So rather than seeing everything as a bad thing, because it interrupts me, maybe I can throttle it back and have that inner conversation, that ongoing prayer and say, okay, God, what are you working through this situation? And how can I participate with you in working through this temporary setback or this frustration, rather than just jumping to that place that says, I'm more important than this, or my project is more valuable than this interruption. There are those kinds of situations that cause me to think, how am I relating to God in how I view the interruptions of life, the things that make me impatient? So it sounds like you're saying that there's real patience and artificial patience. Yeah, I think there's people who are trying to fake it till they make it. And then there are people who are just actually really patient. I, I don't put myself in that category. <laughs> not, at least not yet. You know, we yeah. talked a number of times about my wife saying that she got from uh, Dr. Rich, who was a Sunday school teacher of ours back when we were in Arizona. And he said that true patience is not impatience under control. Ooh. And that is so fitting. I mean, it's better to be impatience under control than not under control. Mm -hmm. But if we go back to that old saying where they say, take a deep breath and count to 10, right? then we don't have real patience because we're trying to control yeah. our impatience. Yeah. If it's coming right out of our heart and we are a patient person in the moment, then we're really loving that other individual enough to quickly offer forgiveness for whatever their behavior may be causing us rather than just trying to control it. So that, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Can you tell, do you think you can tell when you're interacting with somebody when it's the real thing or when they're just faking it? Yeah, and not necessarily in the areas of patients, but one of the examples that, that I see that many people have such a negative stereotype of car salesmen uh. because they're so fake. What do they want to do? They want to sell that car and they're going to do anything. They're going to pay it, say anything. Mm -hmm. And they're in the, you know, the, the real ugly suit and they're um, just looking for their next victim because they're trying to pad their uh, commission account. But the last time I had to buy a car, it was because in God's sovereignty, he allowed me to smash into a deer that totaled my Yukon. Oh. And we didn't know for a while whether it was going to be totaled and I had a rental car and all this. And finally it just played out. They were going to total it. They weren't going to give us very much for it, which was a big point of contention between me and the insurance company, which doesn't yeah. take much, but we took a trip and we first went up to Denver, which is about a six hour drive from us because we saw one online that we wanted to look at yeah. and it wasn't really the, the right vehicle. So we moved on down to Colorado Springs, which is a couple hours South. Mm -hmm and went on to the, the lot and found the most helpful car salesman I have ever seen. <laughs> this guy was the real deal. He was concerned about what we wanted. Uh, he helped us find something that was going to be the right thing for us. He didn't pressure us. He yeah. just said, if this is the right thing, let's see how we can make it happen right now. Yeah. We came to an agreement. We paid him the money and we drove the truck home. Nice. You know, the antithesis of your regular car salesman. You know, he was the real deal, not the fake guy trying to pad his commission. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Good example. And it matches our last experience too, because we found somebody who helped us with our last car, which we got back in May 
of this year. And he was exactly as you described. And I loved doing business with him because he was yeah. so patient and so genuine in helping us meet our needs and helping us get what we felt was a very fair and, and good deal on that vehicle. One example that pops to mind is I'm thinking about somebody who's the genuine article, who's really authentic, was Fred Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I've seen a couple of documentaries, and we saw that movie, Won't You Be My Neighbor, that was done about him. And the people who knew him said he was just that way with everybody, that he always looked you right in the eyes. He was patient. He waited for you to say what you were going to say, and he wasn't hurried. He didn't hurry through life. He gave you undivided attention because you mattered to him. And I think, ooh, that's a great example of what I would aspire to be. I hope I could become like that as God continues to chip off the rough edges and that I can become more genuinely patient rather than just having impatience under control. Yeah, I would be really interested in what some of our fellow theologians have as far as examples with that. And maybe they can put mm -hmm. that into the comments and, and let us know some of the things that they've seen where somebody was genuine in what they do as opposed mm -hmm. to being a fake one. Are there some steps that we can take to develop this real patience or, oh. or even in, you know some of the other attributes that we're working on? You know, we're not going to be gritting our teeth and faking it till we, we make it. There's mm -hmm. got to be some concrete ways that we can move forward with this. I started looking up what some other theologians and uh, spiritual formation directors, people who have dedicated a lot of their lives to this process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ, and what they recommend. And there are some fairly basic spiritual disciplines that some people recommend. Spiritual disciplines for the theologian or for the person who's trying to walk with Christ, it's kind of like an athlete who goes through different training regimens. And uh, let's say that if you're in a specific sport like skiers, they don't always just ski every day in order to get better at skiing. Sometimes they'll do jumping up and down off of platforms to strengthen their knees. Sometimes they'll work on different parts of their body. They'll do some different strength training because they need that upper body strength to get, have a good core strength to power through the corners and that kind of stuff. So the spiritual disciplines may look a little different, but they're all related toward shaping us into becoming more like Christ. Things like Bible reading, like we mentioned just a few minutes ago, that if I had just read that parable from Christ about the master who forgave much and the servant who forgave little, if I had had that in my mind on a day when I hop on the freeway and somebody drives crazy, I might be more likely to respond with genuine forgiveness toward that person and genuine patience than if I had not been in God's word currently solitude, spending enough time to actually process the Bible and to be quiet in my heart, rather than always filling my life full of busy activity, that tends to de-escalate me and help me process real life. Uh, personal worship, sometimes I'll do that with music, and I'll put on some of my favorite worship songs and just be there in my own space, worshiping, because the Spirit is working in my life as I'm in God's presence. And that's different than corporate worship, which we get to experience when we go and be with other believers in a, a space together and worship. So I think some of those are basic spiritual disciplines so that we can have that ongoing, unending prayer, that conversation throughout our day, which is um, filtered through all these spiritual disciplines and helps us interact with how God is on the throne of my life. 
Yeah, I see some direct relationships there. So like the, the, the Bible reading part of it could be the athlete who is looking into the mechanics of how their sport works in, mm-hmm. in a way to work on their, you know, all those little nuances of moving their body and so forth into a particular way so that they get better at that. You know, a Bible reading gives us that, that discipline. You know, the solitude could be the visualization of them performing their sport. You know, they do that in their head. It's a quiet. They're, they're just processing. In fact, if you watch the skiers at the top of the lift at, in the Olympics, you know, you can see them. Their, their head's moving. Their arms are twitching because they're visualizing that course. Yeah. You know, that's a moment of solitude where they're preparing themselves for what they're about to face. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the personal worship is it would be, you know, that skier actually on this, the ski slope. You know, they're actually doing that part of their sport. And the prayer could be the time that they're spent with their coaches, you know, talking through mm. what it is they need. You know, do they need to to work on their uh, their mental game? Do they need to? Or did the coach see something in their performance? You know, were, were their hands out of position when they took that last mm. gate that threw them into a fall and they uh, crashed and burned right at the end? You know, it could be any number of things. So we can see those direct relationships between the sports world and the spiritual world. As we look into this, both you and I have experienced those moments where we're trying to be patient, but we're actually impatient, and we are very divided in ourselves because we are seeking one thing, but we're behaving in another manner. So how do we deal with that divided spirit? That's something that just became more apparent, more toward the front of my brain this last week, because I preached on Jesus who came and said, I didn't come to bring peace on earth, I came to bring division. I came to bring a sword. And people think, wait a minute, I thought he was going to be the Prince of Peace. He is (laughs) to those who understand that they are undivided in their spirit when they obtain his grace by opening themselves up to him and surrendering to his lordship. But that division that happens within us is because we have placed something or someone else on the throne of our hearts. Something that for us is driving us. We're living for that rather than living for Christ. And so there's this illegitimate ruler in my life that makes me feel divided. Maybe the illegitimate ruler is my own pride. And I say, I'm more important than you are. You need to get out of my way because I need to drive on this road. It belongs to me. (laughs) Or maybe there is some other ruler in our life at the moment that makes us feel that division. And I think that there's a real strong division, a sort of a spiritual warfare going on in my own spirit, in my own heart, when I'm really, really impatient. And I think there's really something to that. So that means I have to try to spend enough time being introspective in God's word to figure out what is it that is the Lord of my life in that moment that I need to remove and get him off the throne so that I can replace that Lord with Christ and make sure that I'm continually serving Christ at the center of my life, even when things come at me that would become interruptions that would make me feel impatient. I think you touched on something there, how easy it is for ourself to be Mm -hmm. on the throne. You know, we saw that picture in one of the Campus Crusade little pamphlets, you know, it's a picture of you sitting on the throne, God's off to the side. And so we have to ask ourselves some questions and they're Uh, you know, very revealing about where we are in our walk. And one of those questions is, do I believe that my time or my idea or my work is more important 
then the person who is interrupting me, who's getting in the way of our uh, of my accomplishment of the goal that I'm I'm trying to reach. And then we have to ask ourselves, what would happen if I chose to see that that person is not an interruption, but a person who is dearly loved by God and deserving of the same patience that God has shown to me? It's a whole different perspective. Ooh, good question. That's a good one to help us pivot a little bit in our attitude. That happened to me, I think, uh, briefly last Sunday, because after church, and it felt so good to be back in church again, in person, after being away for three Sundays in a row. Uh, but I got caught by a lot of people who wanted to catch up with me, which I enjoyed. I, I enjoy people. One person who caught me, though, was a little more verbose than the others. And this person can tend to monopolize a conversation. And I caught myself feeling a bit impatient. And it was those little fiery darts of the enemy that are trying to get me impatient. And I think it's good for us to realize that we're all going to have those temptations. But it's what we do with the temptations that makes a difference. And can I catch it quickly? And because I had been preparing for today's meeting with you, and I had read that question, what would happen if I chose to see that this person is not an interruption, but she is a person dearly loved by God, and she deserves the same patience that God shows me. So that question was actually kind of in the back of my mind, and I caught myself throttling those fiery darts back and or extinguishing them, I guess, if you will, to use that analogy, and saying, I'm going to try to give her the undivided attention she deserves, and I'm just going to listen. And I did, and I think it, it had some good outcomes. There was a young man standing at the back in the gym trying to get my attention, but he was very patient. He could tell that she needed my attention more than he did at the moment. So he was exhibiting patience as well. And I got to see God at work through patient people and saw that this character quality of Christ, it's a pretty big deal. And when it works correctly, I think that Christ really shines and he comes out in our behavior. I was glad that it actually worked out in that case. Doesn't always, but it did last Sunday. I was reminded of a story that a former pastor had shared with us from the pulpit, and he was talking about something that happened in the previous week. And he was off somewhere off campus and, and had a meeting or something, and he was driving back and he was thinking about his next ministry opportunity, and he was focused on all of that. And there was a guy whose car was broken down on the side of the road, and he went, oh, that's my next ministry opportunity, not what I'm thinking in my head, yeah. because I need to stop and help this person because their car has broken down. And, and he was able to help them and got things squared away. So he was able to get the right people to come and get the car and all of that. Mm -hmm. But he was focused on one thing and mm -hmm. God dropped an opportunity in his lap. And he saw that person as someone in need and the pastor was able to meet the need and he was there and ready and able and of a mindset to take care of it in that moment. That's so good. Yeah, the Good Samaritan story, and it became real to him. And it shows us that, and I remind myself of this, people are not an interruption to ministry. People are my ministry. <laughs> exactly. And that next meeting, if I'm five minutes late, it's probably going to still come to the same outcome. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, I have a sort of an overdeveloped sense of justice about my own 
need to succeed. <laughs> and that's one area that I think can become enthroned in my heart and that I have to allow Christ to get off the throne of my life is my definition of success. Because if somebody comes in and starts to derail my path to success, the one that I think is important, or if they think that their idea is more important or better than my idea, I can really become impatient with that person because I and my pride feel like I know what's best and I know how we need to act in order to succeed in this area. And that's something that God's been working with me about through the years. And I really get impatient when I sense that somebody else is treating me unfairly because there's that strong sense of justice, even though it may be that they're just coming up with another good idea. And that if we combine our ideas, that would actually turn out to be better than if it was just my idea. Yeah, it's interesting. There was a, an Old Testament character who had sort of a similar experience, and his name was Jonah. Ah, yes. And God had a plan for Jonah. He says, go to Nineveh. They need to repent. Preach to them. Let them come to know me. And he said, not a chance. I'm <laughs> going to go not to Nineveh, but to not Nineveh. I'm going to go the other direction, and I'm going to avoid those people like the plague. And so God had a very unique way of changing his mind, which was uh, three days in the belly of a whale or a large fish, however you mm -hmm. want to read that. And the fish spat him up on the beach not far from Nineveh. And he goes, well, I guess I'm here. I might as well go preach. I mean, I, I, I might as well do it. Here I am. And so he went over, he preached, and they repented, which was a fabulous thing. And what was Jonah's reaction? man, I'm pissed off about this. I wanted God to judge those people because I didn't want to be here in the first place. So apparently Jonah had a pretty big issue um, beyond not just wanting to preach to the people of Nineveh. And uh, he was not in a place to actually fulfill God's purpose, but he did it in spite of himself. Interesting. Jonah, the petulant prophet, and even after he had done what God asked him to do, he was, he was ticked off by it. And he offers this really paltry excuse. It sounds like one of these uh, young teens or preteens who come up with some pretty lousy excuses for why they didn't do what their parent asked them to do. He says, well, I didn't go there the first time because I knew you were such a forgiving God. <laughs> yeah. And we think, well, that makes no sense at all, Joe. Now that's just ridiculous. And you're just really reaching for excuses now. And for you to be upset that he was forgiving shows that your heart is not very forgiving toward the people of Nineveh, not nearly as much as God's, and God is very forgiving. And so we learn a lot about forgiveness and patience connected with that story. So that's a good example. Yeah, as I was prepping for today, I went through and I looked at the use of the word patient and patience throughout the Bible. Mm. And there were some very striking things that came to it for me. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, uh, one of which was that, it, and it makes perfect sense, you know, we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, we're trying to emulate those characteristics of God in our Christian life, and one of God's characteristics is patience, but why is he patient? And the theme that came through these verses, you know, all the way back into to Proverbs and the prophets and so forth, is that God is patient with us because he wants us all to repent mm. and to be saved from the wrath. In fact, in 
in Romans 9, what a powerful verse this one is. It says, what if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the object of his wrath prepared for destruction? Mm. And what are those objects? It's us. He's not mm. mad at the rocks. He's not mad at the trees. He's not mad at the, the, the mountains. Uh, he's not even really mad at us because he understands who we are. But we would be the objects of his mm -hmm. wrath if he yeah. were to pour it out on us. But he is patient so that we are not the fulfillment of that destruction. Mm. You know, he's prepared for the destruction, but he doesn't want it on us. He wants us to come to repentance and know him personally. That's huge. Yeah, that's a big deal. And it helps us see the heart of God. And there are times when I wish he would hit the smite button and bring judgment upon those people. And yet the Bible is showing us that he's being so patient because he's also loving and forgiving. And he wants other people to access that forgiveness by surrendering to his lordship. In First Timothy, there's another verse that I liked a lot. It was but for the very reason I have shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Paul will say, I am the worst of sinners, mm -hmm. but Christ may display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. I mean, that is the goal wow. of every bit of the Bible. Every bit of the work that Christians are doing in the world today yeah. is that people would know who Christ is and receive the eternal life that he is promising them if they would just believe. Yeah, that leads me to another question that pops in about since we're supposed to be walking like Christ and becoming more like him, he must want to infuse us with his own character qualities for a reason. And it strikes me that maybe the reason he wants us to be more like him in this area, that we are patient as he is patient and that we are forgiving as he is forgiving, is so that other people can see that in us and that they too can be drawn into a relationship with Christ. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting that you make the point in that way because another one that left off the page to me was in James 5. He's talking about being patient and he says, be patient then brothers and sisters until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop patiently wait for the autumn and spring rains saying the labor that you're doing now mm -hmm. is going to produce fruit later but you have to be patient That's and you good. need to keep tilling the land and weeding and uh, doing everything you need to do so that you can sow that crop and you have mm -hmm. to wait for the autumn after the spring rain so that there's time for the fruit of that crop to fully develop yeah. You know, and it takes patience, and it takes patience not only on our part personally, but our patience with others uh, mm -hmm. who we might see as a detriment to our success, like you said earlier, or mm -hmm. it may be that they need to see the gospel multiple times before they yeah. are able to fully understand it and accept it as something that they need in their life. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking in particular about some people who were pretty antagonistic toward God for a while. And when they finally came around and they finally got it and they were able to say, okay, yeah, I've been pretty stiff necked and I have been belligerent and I have not been very open to some of the evidence that people have tried to show me, but what took them over the edge of the line of faith and caused them to say, I'm going to trust Christ. 
because they said they saw Christ lived out in some very sweet and patient and forgiving people. And so they saw Christ evidenced right before their eyes, fleshed out to them. And I would personally say I would, I would respond more to watching somebody be patient and Christ-like with me than to respond to somebody who hits me over the head with a Bible and gives me a turn or burn sermon. I think the turn or burn sermon may have its place. There may be some who would respond to that. I can trust that maybe somebody needs to be hit up the side of the head with a two by four message. <laughs> but for me, I have always resonated more with people who are just acting more like Christ. I'm drawn to what they have to say because it seems like it's valid. They have validated what they're saying by their lifestyle. So for me, I, I think there's an awful lot toward our needing to be patient with people, even those people we're trying to reach for Christ who don't believe the way we do yet. Can we be patient enough that even if it takes months or years, can we pour our lives into their lives enough so they can clearly see we really mean what we say? We mean it, and we're living it. I think from, you know, as you tie that up in terms of patience, we can see all of that in the fruit of the Spirit. You know, yeah. if we will take those character qualities and develop them in a manner that is consistent with uh, God's love mm -hmm. and his joy and his peace and his patience and on through them and plus some other ones that we'll look at later. Mm -hmm. If people can see us be Christ in our lives and how we react to them and, as you said, pour our lives into them. Mm -hmm. so that they can understand who God is because we are the example just as Christ was our example, mm -hmm. then I, I really think we're going to see a much greater harvest there than, as you say, with the turn and burn. You know, I've, I've heard stories from people who have come into a church and been hit over the head with a two-by-four and been very turned off by that because yeah. it wasn't reaching down to their need at that moment. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that fear factor, as you say, can lead someone to, to make a decision. But I'm reminded of the parable of the seeds, and you go, is that the person who's going to spring up quickly and then die away? Mm. Because the, the heat of it just turns them into a weed, and then um, there's, there's mm -hmm. nothing in it for them beyond overcoming that fear. The characteristics of God lived out in the life of the Christian then is going to be the better example because they're going to see mm -hmm. and understand those characteristics of God enough to try to, to uh, emulate them in their own life. That's going to be the better example. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. When we know it's all about God's grace and that to appropriate that, we just place our faith in him. We just trust him. We surrender to him. That's a huge thing, and I think that matches what we see in other New Testament passages, um, that it's God's love that draws people into repentance. And I think that's a part of why this fruit of the Spirit is so important for the believer, because one of our primary callings is to represent Him to others. We are His ambassadors, because we really want others to see Christ and to be drawn into that same relationship, that same love. Well, and it's very possible that some of our fellow theologians are at a point that they're starting to see their own need, and perhaps mm -hmm. we should show them how they can take that step of faith and appropriate God's grace in their own life mm -hmm. and uh, actually come into a relationship with Him 
as outlined in the scriptures. I would be happy to try to put these kinds of concepts into a brief prayer. The reason I like praying at the end of each of these episodes is because as I was a kid growing up watching others who were going before me and who exhibited these fruit of the Spirit, I got a lot out of hearing them pray because the way they would express themselves to God struck a chord with me. It struck a nerve. And so I'm hoping that by giving these model prayers, it's helping our fellow theologians understand that talking to God is fairly simple, and we just need to pour ourselves out to Him, and He loves it. He wants to converse with us. So let me pack this into a brief prayer, and you could say something kind of like this in response to this particular topic. God, I recognize that I can become very impatient uh, with others and sometimes with myself, and sometimes I become impatient because I recognize now that I am divided in my spirit. And perhaps there is something or someone on the throne, maybe it's me, maybe it's myself, that needs to be removed so that you can be replaced on the throne of my life. And I recognize that life just goes better when you're at the heart of everything for me. And I want you there. And so I ask that you would enthrone my heart, that you would be the true Lord and Savior of my life, and that I would start to see people as dearly beloved children of you who are just as deserving of my patience as I am of your patience. And you have forgiven me so much, so maybe I can be forgiving with others for the little things, the little infractions that come into my life. Help me to continue to grow to be more like you every day, knowing that it's going to be a lifelong process. I'm glad that you who began that work in me will be faithful to complete it, and you never give up. And I'll continue to be a work in progress until the day I go home to be with you. Thank you for that. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, how much we need that daily you know, communion with him and, and how easy it is to let something get in the way of that. Yeah. And if we're not of a mindset, you know, we can let that that go for days on end and then we you know we feel like we're empty and it's yeah. just a matter of coming back and just realizing something else is on the throne you yeah. know it, it, it could be a project it could be another person it could be myself it could be mm -hmm. just apathy and we just need to say yes lord you are on the throne yeah of my life and I'm going to step over here and let you be sovereign and point me in the right direction from here on out. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a daily taking up of the cross. Yeah, it really is. We talk about that a lot. And I think it's very true. That's just why we need each other. We need fellow believers. We need the, the word constantly. We need constant worship because we are constantly resetting our mindset up here, because what's, what we're really battling is those principalities and powers and the worldly philosophies that would take Christ away from being at the center of our lives. And we want to keep him there. <laughs> if we want to be an Olympic level Christian, then we need to be doing those things on a daily basis, uh, yeah. knowing that every day we're just trying to improve. We're trying to be a little bit better than we were yesterday, mm -hmm. be a little bit better tomorrow than we were today. And um, all to bring glory to him. Yep. And like Paul would say, not because of anything we're doing, because our righteousness is like dirty rags, yep, but simply exactly. because by putting ourselves in that situation so that he can speak into our lives, we recognize that we can't do it. 
And so it's all from him, and he's the one who gets the glory for it. Amen. Amen. Well, brother, it's been good to catch up, and I wish you and Dee a Merry Christmas, because the next time we get together, it's going to be after we've celebrated Christmas. Yeah, that, what a great time that will be. Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, I'm always impressed that when we get to Christmas, it really points us to Easter. That's true. You know, you know celebrating the birth is one thing. But it's that resurrection that has changed history so phenomenally. And without that, we have nothing to look forward to. That's right. We've got to move him from the cradle to the cross. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and this Sunday at our church, we're going to celebrate communion. So we're going to go from the stable to the table. There you go. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have a great Christmas. And fellow theologians, you have a great Christmas as well. And we do invite you back the next time for another episode of Monday, Monday Afternoon, afternoon. Theologians. 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 Theologians.